So yesterday I mentioned Raymond Panica, one of the great religious thinkers of the last century and this part of the century and uh, his belief that we are at a new stage in our human adventure which is not just a stage of socio-economic development, globalization. It's not just about our technological and scientific uh, advances. Those create great opportunities as well as problems for us. But I think the real adventure is the adventure of consciousness that we are moving into a new stage of being conscious beings there have been individuals throughout history who have broken through into the non-dual consciousness great teachers of humanity who have left uh, a legacy, uh, a wisdom, a teaching, a dharma. Uh, Jesus speaks about his teaching being continued by the spirit whom he will send. And even though Jesus, like the Buddha, did not leave any teaching in written form, clearly the experience that he knew, uh, his breakthrough, uh, was communicated, however, however, uh, with however much misunderstanding, but it was communicated, transmitted, and is being passed on from one generation to the next. That's what traditions mean. We may not understand what we are receiving or what we are passing on in our turn, but we understand a little of it and we hope the next generation <coughs> will understand more. So there are individuals in history in whom this threshold of consciousness has been surpassed. We have stepped, who have stepped over into this non-dual uh, reality, the dimension of the spirit, I've been saying. But perhaps today we're beginning a new stage in which there is just the beginning of a collective breakthrough. It's as if the energy or the, the, the pressure of this uh, consciousness is mounting. And not just through individuals, but individuals become the, the sign of something happening, but it's happening uh, throughout the collective consciousness 
of humanity. I don't know whether we can prove that until after the event, but at least it is, uh, it is a sign of hope that the troubles of our time, the crisis of our time, um, has a meaning and that will lead us <clears throat> into a, a higher state of, of consciousness. And if we don't have that hope, we don't have that uh, sense of meaning, then I think we easily fall victim to despair, to meaninglessness, and to this uh, growingly, growing popular idea that human beings are basically failing in the human project and therefore, now is the time for us to regenerate ourselves, or at least to, to recreate ourselves uh, through genetic engineering, through artificial intelligence. That the human is, is no longer uh, adequate, and so we have to go beyond the human. So, I think the... It, it, the, and, and that is a that's a doomed project because it's a it's a utopian project like all utopian projects ideal, over idealistic fantasies uh, it immediately runs into problems uh, things never work out as you expect. So to start a project of re-creating the, the, the human being through science, and technology, artificial intelligence, genetic engineering is not going to be as straightforward uh, as it might seem. So the alternative to that is to remember what the human project is. To reconnect, this means, to reconnect to this spiritual dimension from which we have become so alienated. That our infatuation or our adoration of uh, technology and science who are the new gods have has uh, d diminished or weakened our connection to the uh, spiritual dimension and without that we are in in danger so jesus we could say was a manifestation of this human project, in a sense, an anticipation of what humanity is and what humanity can be. And when we think about the resurrection, we don't, theologically, we don't say just 
Jesus was raised from the dead because he was the Son of God and a rather special person and therefore uh, God raised him from the dead. That, that isn't the, the meaning of the resurrection. The meaning of the resurrection is, is that this is our destiny. This is what is inherent in the human project and meaning. And if Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, then this shows us that we will also be capable of rising through death into a new kind of life. So it may take many generations to catch up with the manifestation that takes place in, the, in, in, in for example, in G, that we see present in Jesus. He was ahead of his time in terms of history and culture. So what is this spiritual dimension which is uh, into which we rise through death, in which even death is transcended. Well, I was saying yesterday, when we spoke about the Trinity, that this model of reality, which is, uh, and um, this model of God, that developed through the Christian scriptures uh, gives us a, uh, a new level of understanding. It is not one, it is not two, it is the Trinity. The word Advaita, uh, the Sanskrit word that describes non-duality, one of the great philosophical systems of, of, of India, Advaitic philosophy. So Ad, Advaita means literally not two. Not one, but not two either. So if it's not one and it's not two, that means it's the Trinity. So even if we can uh, uh, allow our minds and our hearts to be expanded by this uh, new revelation of the nature of reality, <coughs> then we still, of course, have to live and deal with the, 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 the dualistic world. The discovery of the non-dualistic, the spiritual dimension in life, doesn't mean that the non sorry that doesn't it does not mean that the dualistic dimension is suddenly in, invalidated or ceases to exist. And anyone who meditates seriously regularly discovers that the spiritual dimension, the non-dual dimension, opens up for them in a subtle way, 
sometimes in amusing ways. Humor is an important part of breaking through into reality because we recognize the mistakes we made or the misinterpretations we, we made and we can laugh at them, laugh at ourselves. Um, so anyone who meditates experiences this gradual, subtle awakening of the spiritual dimension in their daily life. They don't have to be permanently on retreat. They don't have to be living in a cave in the Himalayas. Uh, they, they're taking the bus to work in the morning. They're dealing with the pressures and contradictions of life and the stress. Um, but balancing their daily life on these two periods of meditation uh, allows the spiritual dimension to unfold and become conscious. And then they see, we see, that the dualistic dimension of life is absorbed into the spiritual or is enfolded into the spiritual. So the, the, the non-dualistic dimension includes the dualistic. So ordinary life goes on. And we find ourselves, in fact, a better able to live in the dualistic world. We're able to handle stress better. We are able to hold our clarity and peace of mind even under uh, critical conditions, crisis conditions. So our, our ordinary experience uh, shows us this. We don't have to be a philosopher, we don't have to be a hermit in the Himalayas to at least begin to experience uh, what I'm talking about. So the, the, the dualistic realm, ordinary life, let's say, is not destroyed or invalidated. In fact, it becomes more meaningful and indeed, we might say, more sacred. We're able to see the presence of God in the very ordinary things and processes and the ups and downs of life. One of the great um, uh, influences that the, the Christian faith has had uh, on the world in terms of religious consciousness has been to expand, if you like, the, um, the, the realm of the sacred. So much so that it, it almost is difficult now to define what is sacred. Because if God entered fully into the world of matter 
in the world of humanity, in the incarnation, if that's what we believe and <coughs> try to understand, then what is there in the world that is not sacred? And in fact, this reinforces uh, one of the major biblical ideas at, on the first page of the Bible at the, in the description of the creation of the world. God looked at what God had made and he liked it. He said, this is very good. I did a good job. So he, he liked, he loved and enjoyed the beauty and the goodness of everything that exists. So what is not sacred? This drawing a line between the sacred and the profane, the sacred and the material, or the spiritual and the material, is an imaginative uh, act that we perform. Uh, and it has some value, provided we don't take it literally. Provided, for example, we don't think that uh, as we might do in the Catholic world, uh, when we look at the tabernacle, we say Christ the presence, the real presence of Christ is in this tabernacle. And so this becomes a very sacred place in the architecture of the church and in the devotion of the, of the uh, believer. And there's, nothing, there, there's, a, there's, a good, there's a good reason for that. To respect and, uh, and, and practice uh, these kinds of uh, prayer. The danger is, is that we think that the real presence of Christ is restricted to the tabernacle and only in the tabernacle and uh, or, or more present in the tabernacle. Of course, it doesn't make sense to say that Christ is more present in the tabernacle than he is present in the human heart. Christ in you, St. Paul says. And not only Christ in you, but where is Christ not present? In the Gospel of Thomas, um, showing some influence of the Gnostic uh, wisdom, uh, there's a saying that um, there's a saying, uh, chop the wood and he is there. Lift the stone and he is there. And if you've been able to enjoy the beauty of Bombeau and the woods and the, and the walks around the lake, um, that's what makes it so powerful. Uh, a spiritual uh, exercise to be in nature, to see the presence of the Creator in creation. So, we could say then, 
that Christianity, Christian faith, has progressively not destroyed, but, but redefined the meaning of the sacred. If, if we look at it in terms of uh, human society, uh, we can see this in marriage, for example. Marriage was never seen uh, b before as a particularly <coughs> spiritual um, meaning. It, uh, obviously there were good marriages and bad marriages even in the ancient world or the Neolithic world probably if they had marriages there. Um, but um, primarily <coughs> marriage was seen as in terms of function and uh, socio or economic uh, continuity. With very early in the Christian tradition, marriage, the union of man and woman in holy matrimony, takes on a spiritual meaning. And it's used, St. Paul uses the, the marriage as a, a symbol of the relationship between Christ and his church. And this, is, this is a new way of looking at an ancient institution uh, and, giving, and seeing uh, its spiritual dimension. So in the same way, as we begin to re reflect on the meaning of the resurrection, we could say that even the physical body is not destroyed, but transfigured. Uh, I, I put up uh, in the chapel yesterday a beautiful icon that's a gift uh, to the community here uh, from the, some of the pilgrims on the Holy Land pilgrimage uh, that we had last, uh, last month. Uh, the Russian uh, icon of the transfiguration, of the, um, actually it's not, it's, the, it's an icon of the, of the uh, Trinity. But uh, very closely related in uh, the theology of the icon with transfiguration the transfiguration of the human person, including the body, into the divine. Uh, so, we, so the resurrection can be seen as an, as an expression of this, of this absorption of the material world into the spiritual dimension. Ktayar de Chardin has a beautiful expression, and he speaks of uh, spirit as matter incandescent. So the spirit, spirit is incandescent matter, the material transfigured and glowing with the light uh, of the spirit. Many theologians uh, today are thinking about the resurrection in direct connection with 
the theology of creation. And so the meaning of the resurrection can be fully understood only if we relate it to the beginning of the story, uh, to the beginning of uh, the world as we know it. And if we look at the beginning of uh, creation, it's the beginning of the book of uh, Genesis, we see the creation of dualism, of dualities. Let me just uh, remind you of that. So in the beginning, God created the heaven, the heavens and the earth. So the very first sentence uh, makes a distinction between heaven and earth. God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good. And God divided light from darkness. Day and night. God said, let there be a vault in the waters to divide the waters in two. Pretty explicit duality, division, and so it was. God divided the waters above from the waters below. Evening came, morning came. Uh, God, separate, then God then separated the dry land of earth from the mass of waters which were the seas. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, many kinds of seed-bearing fruits and plants, each with the seed-bearing uh, fruit with their seed inside. So the, the fertility of the earth is, it produces more and more diversity diversity, division, division, division. And this is not seen as a bad thing. It, um, in fact, uh, expresses or manifests something good and beautiful. And then, of course, the work of creation continues uh, uh, through, through division, through diversification, to the point where God created the human and man and woman, he created us. So even the human being, which is the, the great work of art uh, at the end of creation, uh, is, uh, is, is created with this duality. So, division begins uh, with creation. In the Jewish uh, imagination, 
how they, they asked, how can God create something that is not God? If, 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 is it separate from God? Uh, how, how does it happen? And one of the uh, great ideas that comes out of that question is that God withdraws. This is a, this is a great uh, kenosis uh, or great emptying of God's own self. God has to, as it were, draw back to allow uh, anything else to exist. Because otherwise, it would just be God. And uh, this, this idea of God's with, with self-withdrawing uh, is reflected in, in, other mystical, in many mystical uh, traditions. So however we describe that, the meaning of it is, in the Christian uh, uh, understanding, that what is created will itself be divinized. This is a long process, many billions of years as we can imagine, this long process of creation, and the universe is still expanding, but the, the, there is a direction in this, and the direction is divinization. Everything will be, will be eventually, ultimately, led back into union with the source of creation. Jesus expresses this in his own terms when he says, I know where I have come from, and I know where I'm going. And the, 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 the mind of Jesus in these next few days and hours of his life uh, reflects this sense of completing a mission. On the cross he says, it is accomplished, I've done it. Uh, it's over. And this, this mission is to, uh, to reconnect the beginning and the end. And he is returning to, to the Father. Except the difference is he now takes creation with him. And uh, to understand the connection between resurrection in creation, I think it's necessary for us to see that it is the whole of creation, not just the human, that is going to be divinized, transfigured, transformed, united uh, at the end. So duality, although it produces a, a lot of suffering, uh, is not in itself bad. It is meaningful because it, 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 it is part of this, is a necessary part of the separation from God 
that allows eventually everything to be reintegrated, reunited, and to share in the life of the Creator, in the non-dual realm. So duality is painful, but it's, it's mean, meaningful. There's meaning in suffering. Wherever there is separation, there will be suffering. Even when in the, in the happiest of families, children leave home, separate, uh, there, is, there is pain. Parents have to let go of their children. The children have to face the challenges of the world in their, in their own, on their own two feet. Um, there are other kinds of separation which are, um, which of course, more painful and more damaging and more wounding. We have to handle separation as well as we can. It will always be painful. For example, when somebody dies that you love, uh, it has to happen. And it is, you know, it, it is painful, this loss, this ultimate loss. But the way in which a person dies makes all the difference. Even though there is pain and loss, there can also be great peace and joy in the experience of the duality of death and life. So the art of living is to be able to live with the duality and to understand it and accept it, but also to see that it is, it is not our final resting place. And because it is not our final resting place, we are restless until we get home. St. Augustine says this, doesn't he? Uh, our hearts are restless, always restless. The human being is a, is a restless cre creation. I think, you know, animals, the natural world are not restless. They just get on with it. They don't complain. Uh, even when animals suffer, they don't complain about it as we do, or anguish over it. Um, but the human is always restless. When we achieve what we, what we want, we still are restless, we're not content. So we have to learn how to live with uh, the, the pain of duality, of separation. And the only way we can live with the pain of it, without being too badly damaged, is to understand its meaning. If we have some way of making meaning from our experience, we can make sense of 
anything. So this duality is part of our journey to God. And this journey is, is not just a linear journey, not just chronological time. Uh, it, it's also necessary to understand it as a cycle of growth. And we pass through this cycle over and over again. Every day we are reborn. Every day we get up from, the, from this little death we call sleep. And we, are, we, 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 we pick up the journey again, we do the same thing. Most of the things we do are fairly repetitive. So we do the same thing again, but always at another level. And uh, this is reflected in the I Ching, great Chinese wisdom text, where he says, you have passed this way before, but you are not regressing. You've passed this way before, but you are not regressing. Repetition does not mean regression. Of course, there is a mechanical kind of repetition. Um, people find themselves in a job uh, that they hate, and every thing that they do in, in their working day is, is torture to them, and they long to, for some change. So there is a kind of mechanical repetition which uh, is, is, is very painful for us. But there is also a faithful repetition that produces growth, like the cycles of nature, like the, f the fruit hidden in the seed, which has to die in order to be, to be reborn. So meditation is a repetitive practice. The mantra is repetitive, but it's a faithful repetition, not just a mechanical one. So the last thing I wanted to uh, talk about was um, this, uh, this other example of duality, uh, this icon from the 5th century, uh, icon of Christ. It comes from the... Uh, Monastery of St. Catherine's in Sinai in Egypt, which has been a, a continuous place of Christian contemplation for 1,700 years. Been the longest, uh, longest living, uh, continuously living monastery in the world, Christian monastery in the world. And I had always, uh, so I want to, uh, 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 I'll give you this later. Um, is it, no, but the, you, can you see it from here? So I'd like to pass these, little, these are some little cards. Uh, so you can look at the card uh, more, close, more closely than at this picture. <clears throat> 
Let's take a few moments to, to look at it. That's all right, you can have two. As long as you give it to somebody who needs it. No, it doesn't matter. We've got plenty of them. Yes, yeah. So, um, okay. No. So, um, just take a few moments to look at it. But if you look at an icon, you should soon feel that the icon is looking at you. So we don't look at an icon in the way we look at a photograph. Really, the icon is a window. Icon is, is, means image. It's an, it's an, it's an image that <coughs> becomes a, a window into the spiritual dimension. But where is that spiritual dimension? Well, it's everywhere, but it's in us as well. So the image, uh, if we contemplate it, allows us to, to realize that we are sharing in this dimension. We're in it already. Now maybe we can, we can talk about this a little bit more <coughs> uh, later today. But um, what I think you've probably noticed already are the two eyes of, of, of Christ. And the two halves of the face. One is, as, as you look at the icon, the right-hand side of the face is more, is darker, and the eye is also heavier. I don't know how you describe it exactly, but, uh, and it, it, could, it could seem uh, more stern, or judging, or um, critical. But I, 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 when I saw the original, I changed my view on that. And if you look at the other side of the face, and the other eye, it's lighter and younger. And the eye, the look in the eye there is, what, clearer, more transparent. And maybe more compassionate. So, very, uh, Mysteriously, this, this image of Christ uh, reconciles or uh, balances or integrates these two very different uh, ways of seeing. 
ways in which we are seen. We all have, well, we, most of us, we have two eyes, but we see one image when we look at something, when we look at the world. In fact, we don't. In fact, we see two images because there's a distance between our two eyes. And it's the brain that merges these two images or the signals uh, of these two images and produces one image that we are aware of. This is depth perception. If, we, if you close one eye and you look at something and try to touch it with your hand, it's harder to touch when you look at it with one eye because we don't have this depth dimension so it's difficult to relate uh, to relate to it physically um, and when human beings lose the depth perception of reality not just their physical sight but the depth dimension, we feel overwhelmed. We feel that we are not touching reality. Without this depth perception, we can't touch it. If we can't touch it, we lack wisdom. Remember I said wisdom comes from the Latin word which means to taste. Not only to touch, but actually to savour. So without this depth dimension, we feel overwhelmed, dislocated, and life becomes depressing, dysfunctional, frustrating, because it lacks meaning. And meaning, remember, is not just an explanation of things or an answer for things. Meaning is not limited to what we believe. Meaning is actually the result of the experience of connection. It's when we connect that we feel meaning, we see meaning, we have meaning. And again, this is this is reflected in the way that uh, meditators or people who are learning to meditate notice a change in their life, which it is sometimes difficult to describe for them. But often they will say, I feel there is more meaning in my life which means that they feel more connected to themselves, first of all, to others, and to the flow of life around them. So, we, we'll, we'll come back to this uh, icon uh, this afternoon. So maybe take a, a little time uh, this afternoon, if you like, uh, to uh, 
get to know this uh, image and uh, reflect on what these two eyes, very different but very uh, obviously very closely connected, how these, what, the, what do these two ways of seeing or these two eyes of, of Christ uh, signify uh, for you?